0: Hello everyone, welcome to The Frozen Duck. I am your host, Eric. And today we're gonna to talk about cold stuff, uh, swimming-induced pulmonary edema, SIP. We're gonna talk about the Norseman extreme triathlon. We're gonna talk about uh, cold water immersion, basically what happens when you throw yourself in the water. And for this, we have a, a special guest. We have an expert on that subject. His name is Jorgen Melau. He's a paramedic and also uh, recently a doctor in physiology. So uh, congratulations. Uh so again, thanks uh, thanks for joining.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure to join to uh, join this podcast and talk about something I am, I'm very interested in. If
0: you could just uh, yeah take a few uh, a few moments to introduce yourself uh, where you're from uh, who you are and what you do in life.
1: Well, my name is uh, Jürgen Mele and I am uh, my background is uh, say um, paramedic or actually a rescue paramedic in the Air Ambulance in uh, Norway. Uh, Been working uh, several places, but mostly in uh, Tromsø in the Arctic. And now I live uh, uh, a few hours south of Oslo. I also have a background from the Armed Forces uh, as an officer. And uh, recently I've been doing a PhD in temperature physiology and more specific, cold water swimming. I was finished in May, and at the present time, I work as a researcher in the Norwegian Armed Forces. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's short on my background.
0: Yeah, I think you will be the right person for, uh, to answer my questions today. All right, so let's, uh, let's start uh, talking about swimming-induced pulmonary edema, uh, S.I.P. And I would like to start with a case, um, and then we can kind of like uh, start from there. So, this is a case I've seen this summer in Iceland. It was a woman in her 40s. Uh, she's been tra- training for a triathlon and ultra trails. And then she decided to go swimming on the lake uh, one evening. Uh, doesn't remember the temperature, but the water gets uh, pretty cold in, in lakes and, in Iceland, even in June. And she decided to put a wetsuit. During her swim, uh, yeah, she started starting, uh, experiencing some difficulty breathing. Uh, she had to stop, and then she she was able to swim to, to the shore. She doesn't recall uh, swallowing water or aspirating any water, and there was no drowning or no CPR done. And once on shore, it was still difficult for her to catch her breath. had some chest tightness. She started coughing. It was a bit pink. Then she came uh, to the ER about an hour and a half ago. Uh, sorry, about an hour and a half after, and then she could uh, she could talk in sentences, but you could definitely see she was short of breath. Uh, there was no cyanosis. She was breathing fast. And her oxygen saturation was low, 86%, responded pr- quite well with, uh, with uh, four liters of oxygen. One exam, crackles on the lungs, no signs of uh, peripheral edema. The resident decided to do a chest x-ray. There was some uh, diffuse alveolar infiltrates. ECG showed a sinus tachycardia. She had a mild troponin elevation, normal D-dimer. And then as the, as the resident was presenting the case to me, I thought it was becoming quite obvious what the patient had, and then I started being a bit excited. So we decided to grab the ultrasound to confirm it. Ultrasound showed a normal left ventricular function, no RV dilation, normal size IVC, inferior vena cava, and also normal collapsibility. And interestingly, she had uh, diffuse B lines uh, of both of her lungs without pleural effusion. And to me, this was a pretty clear case of Sip. Um, she was admitted to the respiratory ward and then they decided to give her some diuretics. And then uh, she was observed for 24 hours and then she was discharged without any complications. I've seen a couple of cases of Sip. Um, this was one of the case, obviously, and also when I was working in, in one of the Ironman in Tremblant, north of Montreal. Uh, it gets pretty cold also, the water. Uh, even in August, they also have a half Ironman in June. And this is where they tend to see more of their, their SIP. So um, starting with my questions for you, does this patient sound like a typical SIP case to you? And is this what you would usually see at the Norseman triathlon?
1: It is uh, certainly something that uh, could be a SIP. Uh, obviously, we can't do the diagnostics uh, <laughs> through, through uh, a um, a chat on uh, online chat but but uh, but you were there with the patients and, the, and uh, for, from what you've been describing it certainly sounds like SIP and um, I was a little brief with my presentation. I I also do a lot of work on the Norseman Extreme Triathlon. I forgot to mention that, but that's uh, in in this context, it's uh, it's very important. And I'm the kind of the medical director for Norseman, that is also the base of my my research. And we do have probably yearly occurrences of SIPA in that race and we also have published a paper with some cases uh, case reports of uh, SIPE from that uh, from that race and the the thing is uh, pulmonary edema we know a lot about pulmonary edema because uh, as the medical professionals we see pulmonary edema probably well maybe not every day but uh, but it's very common in hospital all around the world uh and uh SIPA is a pulmonary edema but the thing is we don't know why it occurs in uh, in uh, combination with uh, with the immersion in water and that is what is uh, interesting but what you're describing of the symptoms and the treatment of the patients is uh, that that is uh, very familiar from uh, from our experience. And from a kind of like a medic a paramedic standpoint, uh, you will see uh, that the patient is uh, kind of out of breath. Uh, you will see probably a lowered uh, saturation. Uh, if you're measuring uh, uh, saturation, you will have a saturation maybe below 90, 85, uh, and if you have a portable or a handheld ultrasound, which uh, is more and more common, you will see B lines on, uh, on the lungs. Um, so uh, but one of the, problems with the SIPE in the early stages of SIPE is that it easily can be uh, missed as uh, the athlete being a little bit out of shape because you have a heavy breathing. And that's uh, when I swim hard or run hard, I also have heavy breathing and, and it's easily from your buddies or from yourself. You can you can misinterpret it from being a bit out of shape and uh, and this is not your day to do a swim or a race and you just uh, you just uh, continue and uh, try to see if it gets better uh, but it uh, it uh, if it's Saipi, it will not get better so you have to stop the activity and uh, and probably have help from healthcare professionals depending on how how uh, hard you are affected by Saipi. Um, yeah, so we do have uh, occurrences, occurrences of type B probably every year, uh, and I say probably because I'm quite sure we do have it uh, at, at the recent years, but uh, we probably have have it uh, in the, m- many years ago without us uh, knowing much about it. So, so that's why I say probably. And one thing that is especially worrying for us and also for the military community with with our finding is that it is not detected until several hours after they have been swimming. So we detect it uh, when they are out on their bike and for some, even when they are out running. And then it's a bit hard to say for sure that it is swimming induced uh but we are uh, at least our hypothesis is that this is due to to the swimming and the swimming induced pulmonary edema so yeah
0: so yeah so interesting what you're saying is that if we're not necessarily aware at if there's a swimming part let's say to the event and someone just uh, drops off or you know they stop and they, they think they could just be exhausted for example or you know like you say out of shape so that's something we need to uh, to be aware and you talk about pulmonary edema it's a non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema contrast to a you know someone has a congested congestive heart failure um i i the plan was to talk about uh, the Norseman triathlon a bit later, but I think it, for our listeners, it would be good to at least uh, slip a word. So for those who are not aware, it's a, it's a Nor, it's a triathlon with Ironman distances, uh, in Norway. Uh, so already quite high in, in latitude. And uh, I think what makes it quite special is the, is the weather, I think, uh, can be quite cold, quite windy. And also, uh, people, they, uh, they have to start uh, by jumping from a boat directly into the water, which is, it's in a fjord. And is that fjord connected to, to the Atlantic?
1: Yeah, it is. And uh, yeah, it is, yeah, well, every race is, is special, but uh, our race is also special. And we start around five in the morning and then it's dark and we ferry the athletes out on a ferry. And they jump from the ferry and start race in the dark at five in the morning, and uh, the water can be, well, I, I, it's not icy cold, but it's uh, it's we have had races uh, between ten degrees Celsius and uh, around sixteen degrees Celsius, so in is in that area, and. Uh, it, if if uh, you and me were if I were visiting you on Iceland and we we were going into the sea and do a a dip in the sea at 10 degrees Celsius or even five degrees Celsius we will manage that quite easily probably. but it's a different thing to be a, a responsible as a safety director or for, for as a medical standpoint to be responsible for... For uh, in our race, around 250 athletes swimming for around two hours in 15 degrees water—that's that's that's quite a different thing. Uh, So, and that was also actually the start of my PhD because we were wondering why or is this safe to do this kind of swim? And that's that's actually the start of my PhD. Okay, but the the Norseman race, yeah, it's uh, it's. it's Ironman distance, uh, but the, the different from kind of like Ironman Kona, it's a cold water, it's <laughs> quite hilly, and it's, uh, it can rain and it can even snow on the, the mountain tops when we are passing or finishing. We also finish the marathon on the mountaintop, So there could be rain or snow and wind and everything. So it's quite challenging in kinds of environmental factors.
0: Yeah, I mean it's um, I, it looks quite like an epic uh, triathlon. I know uh, I know a well-seasoned uh, Canadian uh, uh, a friend who's been uh, yeah doing uh, many Ironman and then he went to the Norseman and uh, yeah I think he struggled quite a lot and I think it, his problem was mostly the the cold. He was saying uh, yeah. yeah I think it didn't go as well as he hoped. So no. definitely uh, something <laughs> yeah you can have. The, I mean it's already quite a long distance and then you had this uh, the cold factor. Okay, so um, let's just go back a bit to uh, to Sip. Uh, You said that we uh, were still learning about that pathophysiology. Can you uh, can you tell us what we know at least?
1: Well, um, it's not much we know, or or, uh, at least we know a lot about pulmonary edemas in general. And the thing uh, we wondering about is why it does occur. in water, or at least when you're finished in water. And um, something that uh, we, we know a lot of contributing factor or possible contrib- contributing factors, I should say. And one thing that we are especially, uh, we, we, what we try to find out more about, and probably will do some proper research project on, is uh, the fit of the wetsuits. I'm, I'm very specific now, but, but uh, the, because that's one of the factors that can contribute to SIPA. but we have had colleagues, research college colleagues, that has seen that just by using a wetsuit, you have cardiovascular changes. So, and you could easily imagine that a kind of like a tight wetsuit, at least on the upper body, will give a kind of like a increased pressure in the, uh, in the uh, thorax, at least. So that is something we probably will do some more research into. And all triathletes and open water swimming, when they buy a wetsuit, they're told that it should be as tight as possible, mm-hmm. but we are not, uh, well, I, I should say as a researcher, we're not that uh, certain if that is a good advice, but we we don't know yet. But that is at least one of the factors we hope to do more, uh, more uh, research on. And then it's, of course, adding to that is the General hydrostatic pressure on the body when you are in the water that also lead to an increased uh, uh, increased pressure in the cardiovascular system. Uh, but some of our good friends, uh, have, uh, Professor Mercer from uh, Las Vegas University, he has uh, he has also raised Norsemen and uh, he has done some research on the the cardiovascular effects on just using a wetsuit and uh, that that is probably something that we that we will uh, go uh, go more into okay i don't think i answered your question but uh, that's (laughs) that's, no i think uh,
0: from what i gather it's basically a mix of um, your wetsuit is tight at least put some pressure over your chest and this you know if when you take a breath or whatever your thoracic pressure is increased and then you had the hydrostatic pressure, basically the, the pressure of the, the water on the limbs that redirects the blood flow towards the chest. That would increase even more the the, the pressure. And because of this, uh, this is, I guess, where we're not sure it makes these small breaks. And then there's a leaking
1: lung or a pulmonary yeah, edema. Exactly, that at least is the hypothesis. So uh, yeah, you're you're right.
0: So we we talked about the wetsuit. I mean, people are gonna most of them wear a wetsuit because it's cold. Um, uh, but h- how does the water plays into this? Uh, sorry, the cold water. How does it play? Because we talked about the pre- the wetsuit, the hydrostatic pressure,
1: and now what's the effect of the the cold water? Uh, you mean on the uh, on the wetsuit? Well, well uh, on the body, you, on the sip, yeah. on the because of sip, yeah. Um Well, again, that is not something that we are sure of, but there is a tendency to that more people get seep uh, when it is cold water. So mm. it is probably something there, but we don't know. And also one very interesting study from Sweden, uh, where they have a large open water swimming contest, and they do a lot of research on seep. They have about 50 cases of cpe each year in that race and and it's 90% female and i i didn't uh, realize that before that study came out uh, just uh, yeah not long time ago but uh, and that might also be but that is just my my initial thought might also be something about the wetsuit because fee, the, there are many, there are not many wetsuits that are custom made for females, and I easily can imagine that it is a bit tighter around the chest area. I'm just speculating now. I'm know I know that for sure, but but that is something that we should look more into. So, yeah,
0: interesting. Ninety percent. Of the cases are female. Wow! I guess.
1: Yeah, it is if, from that particular study. Yeah, from from Sweden and a large uh, open water swim race there.
0: So let's now that you you suspect a case of SIP, you're in an event. Let's say you're doing the uh, you're a doctor for one of the Ironman uh, or like a water um, event, and you suspect a case of SIP. Um, I, one of the question I had is in the management of this patient you know, the, the, the wetsuit somehow is going to also help the patient prevent, uh, from hypothermia, but might also be the cause of the, the SIP. So when you, in the initial approach to the, the patient, uh, that you suspect of SIP, um, like, should we just remove the wetsuit early or should we just keep it to prevent hypothermia? What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, <laughs> not a very easy question to answer. Uh, the, uh, we, I, in every race, uh, we have to, as medical professional, we have to be prepared. And one of the things we are very well prepared of is, first of all, um, cardiac arrest, because that is a quite, uh, uh, well, uh, we, uh, we have a high alertness for that, uh, at least during the jump from the ferry. Uh, but then it's hypothermia. Uh, and if we are well well prepared, as we are in our race, we can easily uh, wrap the patient in hypothermia kits uh, quite fast. Uh, at least, I uh, yeah, we, we we can we can that. So I think in the case of a CP occurrences in uh, in uh, water or uh, when they exit the water, we remove the wetsuit quite rapidly and uh, and, um, and wrap them in a hypothermia uh, kit, uh, also very, very fast. Uh, but you are right. If there is no sign of SIPE and we are out in the fjord and have to drag the patient up in a boat, I would be very careful by removing the wetsuit. Uh, at least, I'd, I do everything I can to prepare my hypothermia kit before I remove the wetsuit. Because lying on a small boat uh, unprotected in the cold weather and windy and rainy, maybe, that is, of course, not very good at all. But then you're into hypothermia prevention and hypothermia treatment. And uh, that is also a a huge passion for me but uh, but uh, the the wetsuit protects somehow from hypothermia it's not the best protection but it's better than lying without it on a uh, on a small boat or on a on a pier or something like that so yeah yeah, I, I, I prepare all my hypothermic kit before I remove the wetsuits. That's the that's the short answer to that. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I also, uh, um, as you were answering, I was thinking uh, the cases I've seen in uh, the airmen is that usually at some point we also want to expose the chest because we want to listen to the chest and and all of this. So I think yeah. at the end we 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 end up removing the wetsuit because we also want to get exposure to the patient. Uh, sure. And like you say, at the same time, we all, we need to make sure that uh, we prevent hypothermia in these cases. Yeah. Let's go back now to uh, the Norseman uh, extreme triathlon. Uh, we talked about it, the distance, where it is, um, and now can you tell us more about what has been your role in this organization? Because my understanding is that you've been in, involved for many years, and also you've been doing some research with it.
1: Yeah, that is right. Uh, I've been involved, the race started in 2013, and then there was just uh, a few athletes starting, including the organizers. So there was just a f- f- gang of friends that was uh, racing. I, I joined uh, the organization in 2015, No, oh, sorry, 2005. I, uh, I mixed the 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 races uh, around 20 years old. No, I, I mixed the dates. But in 2005, I I joined, and the race started in 2003. And uh, in 2005, when I joined, I was the only one uh, in the kind of the safety and medical crew. And then it has just progressed from there. So no, I am kind of like the or I am the manager of the safety and medical crew during the year year race. Um, And we have about uh, five uh, medical doctors. We have around five paramedics. We have a lot of volunteers from the Red Cross and all, all other volunteering uh, first aid organizations. Uh, we are uh, very much depending on uh, on them. And uh, yeah, in 2015, uh, it was a bit cold in the water when we measured the water temperature a few days before the race. It was 10 degrees Celsius. So, uh, as it turns out, one of the other persons in the in the crew. Uh, was a professor in physiology, and he said to me, "Oh, Jürgen, you should start a PhD investigation investigating this." And at that time, I was working as a rescue paramedic. Uh, that was my profession. So I was, I was hanging under helicopters and digging people out of avalanches and stuff like that. So I think it's. I at first I. I think it was a stupid idea to do a PhD, but then he managed to convince me, and I'm very happy with what I did uh, today. I'm very happy with it. So I started my PhD in 2015 uh, on Norsemen. And since 2015, we have been doing research every year on the athletes. And it has progressed to not only me doing a PhD in temperature physiology, but also many other PhD candidates, masters, students, and international researcher. Uh, researchers. So we are kind of like a, or we are a huge research group there every year. And it's very, um, let me, Say it's very convenient to do research on on extreme endurance athletes because they are doing these activities anyway, uh, with or without us as researchers. So it's it's uh, we just ask if we could do some measurements on them uh, before, after, or even during the race, and most of them say easily say yes to doing that because you know triathletes they are very keen on knowing knowing numbers and things like that they all have a uh their their latest garmin watch and everything so so they're very keen on be, being uh, investigated and they have some numbers and uh, pills that measure temperature it's very high tech so so yeah we do we do uh, quite a lot of research now Every year, uh, we doing um, we do a lot of uh, yeah, temperature f- stuff like uh, myself. We do uh, uh, echocardiography before and after. We do uh, blood sampling. We do lung function tests before and after, and we do a lot of stuff. So yeah, that's okay. that's basically how it is.
0: You said that uh, one year, uh, two thousand fifteen, the water was pretty cold. Um, and was it the year that you guys shortened the, rate, the the, swim?
1: Yeah, that's, that's right. And that was just kind of like a hunch that we sh- should shorten it. But as, as it turns out, when we were doing our proper research, uh, later that, uh, same year, uh, we found that, that it was very wise to shorten the swim, uh, And that was the start of my PhD. Uh, Again, I'm returning to that. But a few weeks after the Norseman race that we shortened the swim, we did exactly the same in a more controlled environment, like a proper research project. We let 20 athletes swim uh, the race distance in, in 10 degrees water. And we saw that they did get very cold. So actually, we have to stop the research project. We have to shorten the, also the swim in the research project because they got too cold. Uh, but we uh, we managed to do a very good uh, study on that. And we saw that 10 degrees uh, swim with a wetsuit, 3,800 meters, which is the standard Ironman distance. That is too long.
0: So yeah, how did you simulate 10 degrees? No, the, it,
1: it was ten. It was outdoors in the sea, outside Oslo. So it was ten degrees. Okay. Uh, every, yeah. So it was. Uh, we managed to replicate the conditions quite accurate, actually. That okay. was just pure luck. But uh, okay. we were happy to. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, um, and how uh, how much did you shorten it?
1: We uh, that race we shortened to half half the distance.
0: Okay, so like the regular distance you said is three point eight kilometer, and then down to point one point nine kilo, yep. kilometers. And yep. despite this uh, this shortening, uh, was there uh, more cases or uh, yeah than usual of hypothermia despite that?
1: Or? Uh, no, there wasn't. But one of our key findings in our research is that people can get hypothermic even if the water is much warmer mm-hmm. so uh we were uh, if i would think as a researcher i would think that uh if we just increase the water temperature no one will get hypothermic but some almost every year we have hypothermic people uh not many but a few and, uh, and uh, even if it's 17 degrees in the water, which in Norwegian standard is quite warm water, <laughs> we still get hypothermic uh, patients. And if I would, again, think as a researcher, that would easily be, be seen as an outlier. But as a professional, um, a medical professional, we, we have to take the outliers into account but, because we cannot tolerate, or we, we have to prepare for people being, being hypothermic, even if the water is much, much uh, warmer. So that's one of our key findings. And as a experienced medical professional, professional or rescue paramedic, um, I know that people get hypothermic in many kinds of places and circumstances. But back to being now a researcher, uh, we could easily miss that very important point. So we, we I, I will not, I, I cannot be only a researcher or only a paramedic uh the the, if i could mix or we as a researcher can mix uh, our clinical experience with the uh, the research then it's uh then it's very valuable and i hope we i I hope i'm able to do that
0: yeah it's definitely a strength to be a clinician and a researcher at the same time yeah yeah, and uh, i mean we see this also quite uh you know commonly i would say in the er like uh you know you said that 17 degrees we would think people are are less hypothermic but i guess whenever the ambient temperature or the the water temperature is below a certain degree because of the the heat exchange people can become hypothermic and and we yeah. see this quite a lot i would say sometimes you know when they, they bring a patient in the er and it's a trauma you know they it's not very cold outside but uh, you know they're not well protected and they're definitely yeah just like 35 mm. 34 degrees and this this is another, another uh, topic but uh, yeah it's it, i think it all comes down to awareness with hypothermia because we mm. i think we uh, we tend to underestimate the time for transport or you know the effect of the the temperature on, on people
1: absolutely and one of the thing that is also a key finding uh, in because uh, because I'm now focused on water. And one of the other key findings uh, that is not new, but at least it was new to me, is that the isolation properties of the human body change in water. Uh, We know that fat does a lot of uh, insulation on the human body, but the muscles also insulate. But the thing is, when the muscles are perfused, when they are active, They do not isolate. They do probably do quite uh, okay when you're in air or when you're in the mountains. But in water, uh, you lose very much insulation when you are moving. And as these yeah. athletes do, they, they are swimming and they, they do lose a lot of insulation. And triathletes also tend to be not that fat. <laughs> so they, they, they do not insulate uh, very, very well uh, due to the muscle activity. Uh, so that is something that at least to me was, uh, was uh, new before I start uh, this PhD project.
0: What's the uh, what's the uh, wetsuit policy at the Norseman? Um, like, is it mandatory? Is it not? Which temperature cutoff? And in terms of also, if you could talk about the uh, uh, if there's any um, mention about the the thickness of the wetsuit.
1: Yeah, it's it is mandatory because it's always uh, that cold in the water. It's also a safety aspect because uh, it, it's. Uh, You you float when you have a wetsuit, so it's it's an important safety factor. But it's also so cold that you yeah wetsuits are mandatory. Regarding the uh, the uh, lower uh, allowed swim um, uh, temperature, we actually don't have any, Uh, and we are not part of a organization. We are not not an Ironman race, so we we actually don't have any. Uh, But that was also an important factor for me starting this PhD, because we wanted to know what is a safe temperature to swim in. And also, because there are Limitations in the regulation for swimming federations and triathlon federations, but the thing is, if we follow them, there will probably not be very easily to have any triathlons in Norway. So we have, and also much of the research on swimming temperature in the international federations has been doing, been done on warmer temperatures. So there is not much research on colder temperatures. So we wanted to kind of like challenge the lower temperature uh, guidelines for open water swimming. Uh, That being said, we do think many of the guidelines are very wise uh, we had, we did actually believe that swimming in ten degrees water was okay, but now we know for certain that is it is not. So as a, it it is me that do the decision if we have can can do a swim or cannot uh, uh, in the the race, and I I would not allow a ten degrees swim uh, now with the knowledge I have now. Again, I won't say an exact temperature because we are kind of like a very popular and well-known race. And if we set the standards, uh, other races are Mm -hmm. following us. And that is a good thing. But the not so good thing is that uh, they don't necessarily follow our very good preparations and our safety procedures and our medical crew setups and things like that so I it, it we we try not to do many have that many strict regulations because we know we are being uh, being copied uh, and that's that is not a bad thing, but we just have to be aware of it because we are a very well known uh, race uh, and uh, we, we have to be a bit careful. If I say it's okay to swim in 10 degrees water, m- m- lots of people will take this, uh, that as a fact, and uh, I, don't, I don't want that. But 10 degrees is too cold, I know that for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, like you say, you guys. Uh... <clears throat> you you you, you sending a standard is a big responsibility and uh, yeah. if if other places are not as well prepared as you guys they you know they might run into trouble and and it's just we're talking about human lives here participants yeah, yeah. so yeah
1: and and I, I for sure we can also have accidents and uh and uh, lives uh that are lost in our race of course we can, but at least we are. Uh, prepared and as prepared as we can I I, I certainly do hope so and I, and I believe so that we are very, very well prepared okay
0: okay let's uh, let's move um, switch a bit direction and talk about the cold water immersion because I think that's another uh, of your uh, interest um, and, uh, and I guess, yeah, the Norseman is, is probably one of the best place to study this uh, for the reasons we mentioned earlier. Um, so c- can you tell us what exactly happens like, physiologically when we immerse ourselves in cold water? For example, you're a Norseman participant, and then poof, you just, you jump off uh, from the boat. Can you run us through, uh, yeah, the, the, the changes?
1: Well, I could certainly try to do so. <laughs> uh, the uh, the kind of like the uh, drowning process or the dangerous parts of a immersion uh, immersion is uh, starting to be better now. Now, and we know uh, the the first uh, ninety seconds or two minutes, uh, we are very well aware of that there is a cold shock response and prob- maybe also a what is called an autonomic conflict. A cold shock response uh, raises your heart rate. I am uh, simplifying it very much now, but a, a cold shock response raises your heart rate and it also raises your respiratory rate. Um, but there is also a diving reflex that can occur uh, at the same time. And the diving reflex is, um, is uh, started when you get your face into water. Uh, and that is a reflex that uh, lowers your heart rate and also lower your respiratory frequency and uh, among much other physiological responses. But these two responses are very opposite of each other. And that's why it's called an autonomic conflict because that can occur if you jump straight into cold water, and then you are very prone to get uh, dangerous arrhythmias. So that is the first thing uh, that can happen. at Norseman, we do start with jumping straight into cold water. So that's something that we are much more aware of. So we we have actually shifted kind of our presence uh, and uh, alertness at Norsemen and having uh, medics and defibrillators and stuff like that very close to the uh, to the jump because we know that is I won't, I won't say it's dangerous, but I, that, that is one of the areas that we, that we know can be very dangerous. The second thing, uh, when you have been in the water for a few minutes, then the, uh, if you're not active, that is, then the muscle starts to get cold. And even if you are active uh, in a uh, certain time, your muscle starts to get colder. And if you are... If you think about a a, a victim victim of a, sh, a ship, uh, what is it called a, a shipwreck uh, incident, <laughs> if, uh, then uh, you uh, you are uh, the uh, the casualties are or the um, patients or what should I say With is them. much yeah victims are not they are not easily able to rescue themselves when the muscle gets colder. And it's also harder and harder when the muscle gets colder and colder to swim to shore. Mm -hmm. And that is something that we also see at Norsemen and other races. Before people get hypothermic, their swim technique deteriorates. So that's something if we are aware of it. And if we can actually see uh, that the swim technique deteriorates and that the muscle functions is worsened. But that that is something that that we also want to look much more into. And hypothermia, that is uh, something that doesn't occur until at least 20 minutes and that is also something that's, uh, that was new to me, but we can see that uh, if, if you see some of our papers, you can see that the core temperature is made, maintained for at least 20 minutes before it starts to uh, cool or decrease, even if the water is quite cold. And that's not only in our studies, it's in many, Many studies around the world, and for some the temperature even uh, even increase during the first twenty minutes before it uh, starts to decrease. Mm-hmm. So you don't get hypothermic uh, in an race or another activity until at least twenty minutes. Uh, it is quite another thing if you are. Uh, um, kind of falling from a ship and are unconscious or then it's a quite different thing but when you're swimming you do you will not start to get hypothermic before at least 20 20 minutes and uh, probably much uh, much longer than that and uh, yeah so so that is also one of our Uh, main findings. And uh, again, several others has also seen this. And then the fourth thing about uh, cold water immersion is the rescue phase with after drop or a circulatory collapse. Uh, But that is the four phases of an immersion. And each of them are very interesting. I think. <laughs>
0: I think we'll have to uh, save this for another uh, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's a, that's a rendezvous for next time. So yeah. you, you you talked about the autonomic conflict. Uh, basically, it's like the the body is going into autonomic, uh, kind of like sympathetic, because of the cold water exposure. So it's basically putting the the pedal on the gas, and then at the same time, the cold water exposed to the face. Yep. Creates a diving reflex, which is more parasympathetic, and then puts the pedal on the brake, basically, and this puts yeah. you at high risk of arrhythmia. And is is this why you guys implemented the uh, spraying of water before jumping off the boat?
1: Oh yeah, uh-huh. it is. <laughs> it is because uh, we quite uh, rapidly. Uh, Found out that uh, that the uh, the autonomous conflict was a very dangerous part of the jump, and it, it uh, the the cold shock and um, and also aridness is something that probably occur very often, but it's not very dangerous. But for some vulnerable individuals, it can be very very dangerous, and to Try to. Um, uh, there, there are we, we do spray all the athletes with cold sea water on the ferry before they jump into the water. And there are two reasons. First, to to uh, if there is a dangerous situation, it's much easier to handle it on the ship than in the water, in the darkness in the water. So we try to um, to just uh, yeah. Uh, try not to have incidents in the water because it's much harder. But the second and probably more uh, uh, other important factor is to try to dampen the reflexes from the actual jump. So we try to, uh, what should I say, start the reflexes when we spray the athletes on the ferry and then they are not that... Uh, that um, um, effectful when they jump into the uh, the cold water. So these are actually the two reasons. And the, the most, I, I do think that the most uh, important part is that they get wet in their face, so we don't have the kind of like diving reflex. I think the cold shock effect they do get anyway when they jump into the water, but, uh, but the diving reflex we can uh, probably, uh, Diminished uh, when they get cold water in the face uh, at at the ferry.
0: Have you, have you ever prevented the, any athletes to jump after this, after spraying them with water?
1: Uh, no, we haven't. But there are sometimes a few athletes that stop them themselves. But that's that's normally because they are. Uh, they just decide that it's a wise decision not to jump in cold water. And they, yeah, so they, how, it happens.
0: <laughs> how high is the ship? How high is the jump?
1: <clears throat> well, it is uh, the the, uh, the phase change from year to year, but it can be a f- up to five or six meters. So it's not that high, but still it's quite high in the darkness. And as a start of a race, you're already quite, uh, Anxious, and then you have to jump into the dark waters. It's eight hundred meters deep, the fjord, and okay. they know they know that, and it's orcas there, and it's uh, yeah. So it's uh, it's a bit scary.
0: <laughs> yeah, because is is the sun up at this time or uh...
1: no? It's not, but uh, while they are swimming, the the sun will raise, But it's it's a it's a fjord, and there are high mountains on every part of the of the uh, fjord so you will not see the sun until you are well finished with the uh, swim and uh, way into the bike on the in the mountains so yeah it's it's dark
0: (laughs) okay how interesting it must be quite a quite a feeling yeah
1: yeah (laughs)
0: All right. I mean, I think we we talked a lot about a uh, about a lot of stuff today. Swimming so induced uh, pulmonary edema, the Norseman, and also the uh, cold water immersion. I feel like we could uh, we could record for at least uh, three or four more hours. Uh, but uh, is there? Uh, I think we're gonna stop here uh, for today. Is there any anything else you would like to have? Any uh, yeah? Any closing remarks?
1: Um i i don't i do think that uh, cpa is something that we should be more aware of and hopefully we will know much more about it in uh, the uh, coming years uh, and I also uh, maybe you could have a link to some of our work in the show notes uh, uh, so I'm happy to for people to contact us and ask questions or or anything, so I'm just glad that we could have a, a talk about this, and happy to be here.
0: Yeah, is there any uh, registry, for example, if there's any cases we see at the Ironman in, in Canada, uh, we see cases. Um, can we? Yeah, is, is there any international registry on that? Or
1: no, it is no. not, and that's uh, that's lacking. So I hope we could contribute to make such a registry uh, sometime but at the moment it's it's not okay
0: good All right so uh, thank you so much I feel like uh, yeah we could talk about this uh, for at least a couple of more hours and I've just uh, I've learned so much from it. Uh, thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much.